Welcome to our service. It is December 13th, the third Sunday in Advent, and we're so glad you have joined us. Later in the service, we will invite you to light three Advent candles. Feel free to prepare them now. The Lord has done great things for us, and so we rejoice. Our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping will come home with shouts of joy. The The Lord has done great things for us. We rejoice. we confess we do not always recognize you. We confess that when we do, we do not always receive you. Open our eyes to see you and our hearts to receive you. We invite you to light three candles now.
Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, this morning, we thank you so much that we have been able to bring our sins before you, that we have been able to place them at your feet and repent. God, we thank you that you have walked with us with them. And God, now we pray for restoration. God, now we pray that with our sins taken care of by you, that you will work in us so that we may be restored, that we will be able to fully comprehend what it means to live lives in you, and that through this we will be able to see even more clearly that it's you at the end of the path that we're walking down. God, this we pray. And in line with this, Lord, we also look out to the world around us that is also so desperately in need of the restoration that only you can provide. God, there is hurt. God, there is pain. God, there is suffering, especially just now. But we know that you have the power to set things right. And so we, we pray for that. As we have been for so long, we pray that you will restore the world around us, that you will set things to right that your kingdom will be built. Lord, this we pray. And God, we also look to those around us, to our fellow men and women who live with us, who live across our country, across the world. Lord, as we have put our sins in your hand, as we have repented, as you have forgiven us, as now you work to restore us so that we can see truly what it is that you want to do with the world. It fills us with so much hope. It fills us with so much joy. It fills us to the brim and beyond. And so, God, we pray for all of those who do not have this hope as we do. Lord, we pray, break through the walls that are holding them from you. God, we pray, send the people that know how to chip away from those walls to point them toward you. God, a part of us hurts that we can know such joy, and yet there are others that are so close to us that don't. So God, we pray, open the eyes of the world to the glory that you have, to the glory that you are, and to the glory yet to come. My God, we pray each and every one of these things. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 and 19 to 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing.
I passed by the gate late, long into the night, while the guards slept at their post. Carefully I moved, softly, to keep the clatter of the great weight that I held in my hands chained to my ankle from making a sound. For many years I have lived locked in my cell. For many years I had known its confines. East, west, north, south, stone, 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 and iron bars. Every morning I woke, the world around me just off pitch black where it would stay for the rest of the day, my shackles still wearing at the skin on my leg. At first I imagined that it was hard to live in my little dungeon, weighed down by this encumberment, but in time it became easier to navigate in the darkness, held back as I was. In time I learned to pick up my weight, heavy as it may be, and to shuffle with it as I paced. In time it became common, something I did not even think of. For many years I have lived, weighed down in my dark cell, and where once I surely knew why I had been locked into its confines, it has been a long time since I could remember the cause. My life had become commonplace, regular, how I thought things should be, chains and all, until I heard a voice. I am well past the guards now. I softly tread, with one foot I lightly step, then a second, a third, then fourth. Soon I'm ten yards from the gate, maybe more. My hands ache at the weight that I hold in them. The joints of my fingers are beginning to cry out for me to let go, and still I hang on. The narrow path ahead of me is dim, weaving through a valley before me and a steep hill on the far side, a light softly glowing beyond its crest. On the sides of the path I can make out brambles and trees overhanging, boulders, obstacles in the way. Now I'm twenty yards from the gate, and carefully I pivot on the spot, looking back to my former home, my prison that held me for too long. There are words arching across it, spelled out in bent iron bars, each dripping in rust thick as blood. Welcome, it mocks me, to the place of your destruction. For many years I called this place my home. For many years I had lived in its depths, so long as to forget that there was a life apart from these walls. Normal things had come to be for me. Normal to the point that the parts of me that may have bristled at my incarceration once had long since laid down. My torture had become normal to me, until far from thinking anything odd, instead I chose to live in its haze, assuming simply that this was how life had always been and would always be. On and on this went, on and on I lived this way, on and on, until one day a noise came through the east stone wall. A small noise, quiet through the rocks and the mortar between us. So quiet that at first I dismissed it out of hand, but the voice kept going until I could no longer think it wasn't there. I moved to the wall to press my ear to it. Too quick, my chain pulled on my ankle and I tripped to the floor. It had been years since I had last done that. I landed hard on my elbow. There was pain like fiery darts that seared up and through my arm. I grasped it to see if it was broken, but other than being tender, it seemed still in place. Soon I had pushed past, allowing my mind to drift back to the matter at hand, and the soft voice was still there. Now I was fifty yards from the gate, well on the descent into the gulch before me. 
Soon I think I will be out of earshot in my soul. I allow myself one moment to feel excitement at what could be. I carry on. The pain in my hands where I hold my chained weight is almost unbearable now. With every step I take, it hurts. With every inch I walk, the pain shrieks at me, just let go. While the downward slope makes things easier, makes my steps easier, it has become just as much a mental exercise as a physical one to keep on. For years, I had lived chained to this weight in my dark cell. But for months, I had talked to the soft voice beyond the wall. Mostly, I listened afraid that the guards may hear, but there were moments that I risked answering back. The man beyond the wall had immediately found a solution, scraping quietly at the stone from the outside, thinning it out so our voices could reach each other with less effort. John was his name. He came from a city down the narrow road, through the valley, over the hill. It seemed so close to the world he told me of, yet in every way it was foreign to what I come to understand to be normal. Where the cell was cold, where the cell was dark, where the cell seemed void of everything save me, in the city beyond the hill, he said, there was life. Though not far, it was a nation unto itself. And as we spoke over the months, always John's voice caught when he talked of the one who was in charge there, a man who was a friend of his, of whom he clearly thought the world. Why do you risk your neck to talk to me? I asked John one day. Because you are worth risking my neck to talk to, he replied. At first, what I heard of this city beyond the hills seemed obviously absurd unimaginable, but over the months speaking to John, it began to take root in me. Now I'm at a mile. I've made it through the valley. I stand at the base of the final slope. This far I have made it, willing myself toward the bright city beyond the hill, every step of the way. But the slope laid out before me. The slope is immense, and finally, finally my will gives out. I am unable to carry my burden any farther. It smashes to the ground, gravel clips against my calf, chipped from a rock that I hadn't noticed in my pain. The sound echoes through the valley. I gulp in a lungful of cold air. I hold my breath. My heart beats. And again, and again in the silence of the dawn. Faintly, from the road behind me, leading to my former home, I yell. An alarm. I begin to panic. For months, I had lived chained in my dark cell, waiting until I would hear John's voice again. Anticipation mixed with anxiety that we would be heard. Every day, John was a little louder. Every day, a little more clear. It could not have been safe for him to reach out to me and to risk the grinding, scraping at the stonework would have been more dangerous still. Over the months, I came to live for the picture of the great city over the hill that he painted for me and to meet his great friend who lived there, who ruled there. But though I came to pine for it, it was still just a picture. It was a still, something told to exist, but I could not imagine it fully. And then, and then just hours ago, something changed. After months of our speaking, after months of that gentle scrape, scraping on the wall, after months of every day that getting a little louder, the wall broke through. Just a hole, small from my side, but still it was clear through. 
A beam of light shot into the dark cell and it hit me in the face, in the eye. I reeled back before my mind got the best of me, causing me to clasp my hands over the opening to block the beam from anyone who might be nearby who would sound the alarm. I held my hands in place for a moment, but when no voices were heard, slowly, slowly I dared to worm closer, and the weight on my ankle trying with all of its heft to pull me back, but I, I forced through its restraint, cupping the hole to my eye, and I gasped, unable at first to fully comprehend what I was seeing, and then I, I wept. Before me was a world of vibrant color, of dancing light, where behind me there was nothing but the darkness of my cell. Through the corner of the hole I was alerted to something moving just beyond the wall, and then into focus popped my friend moving just into view, the first person that I had truly seen in so long. Everything began to blur from the tears that poured freely now that I didn't want to, nor that I even knew how to fight. Before me, I could see the world beyond the wall of my prison, and in that moment, all that John had told me of the city beyond the hill, I could suddenly begin to picture it for myself. I could suddenly begin to begin to make sense of what he had said. My friend stood there, beaming at me, and in his hand I saw at first an object that it puzzled me, but that then suddenly clicked, it suddenly made sense. It was worn, it was old, it was covered in the black dust of the crumbling rock of the prison. It, it was unmistakable, a key. He knelt down to me, he pushed it through the hole in the wall. I used to live here like you, he told me. My friend beyond the hill got me out a long time ago. He gave me this key then. It will open your cell. We will meet you on the path tonight to bring you to your new home. Before I could beg a single question, he ran from sight. For a long time, I stayed, eyes glued to the hole in the wall, until day dimmed to late dusk. I backed away. I sat up. Though faint, a beam of light fell past me, and it rested on the weight chained to my ankle. For the first time since the day I can't remember, the day I first entered this cell, this prison, and found that chain on my leg, I saw something written in pale ink. It was a list of the sins that had landed me in the dungeon all those years ago. Now I am beginning up the steep hill before me. The guards' clubs are born as they crest the path behind. I swooped down again and again to pick up the heavy record of my sin, and it burns my hands each time. I, I hold it a few steps, and it drops. My will is no longer enough to fight the pain and to keep on, and closer they come. Again, I try to pick up my sin, and again, I drop it. My breathing speeds dangerously. Again, I try, and I fail. Only one more step I manage this time. No, I begin to repeat to myself, no, 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 in repetition, and closer they come, closer. Then, from up the path over the hill, I see something, a figure, an outline, two people running toward me as fast as they can. I can see their faces. To the left is John, and my heart leaps, and the other, I, I do not know. 
For a moment, I find the strength to once again pick up my sin. Ten yards, I make it this time before the pain is too much to carry on. On either side, they are closing in. Ahead is my salvation. Behind the damnation, I want nothing more than to escape. The hill ahead, though, is steeper, and the newcomers fall on me first. And John is smiling to me, and then he rushes past. Go with him, he yells over the shoulder as he points to the man holding me now. Still, my only friend is running toward the guards, closing in from behind. His arms are outstretched as if to block their path. I don't have time to cry out, though. The other man that is with him takes my chin, jerking it to gaze to him. I'm going to break your chain, he explains. Do it, I plead, realizing for the first time fully what having this sin has cost me and those around me. The man bends down. He picks up a rock and he smashes the chain once, twice, and then on a third. And on that hit, by sin, it shatters. On that hit, my sin falls away. And together we run up the hill. For the first time since I can remember, truly unencumbered. Every step seems lighter than the last. With every step, the hell that has held me for so long is, is further behind. Again, I know what it is to be free. Again, I know what it is to be whole. With this new stranger's hand in mine, I am restored. With every step, I see the dull light over the hill brighten the sky. And finally, we behold it. And in that moment, I hear the sounds of the guards behind me who were pursuing again fade to nothing. We had crossed into the new land now, the city of light, a land that those who had held me for so long were not able to follow us to. We had reached the end of the path. And what I saw was so much more than I had imagined. Welcome to my city, said the man beside me. Welcome to your new home.
The benediction today is adapted from 1 Thessalonians. People of God, people on the road, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and will do this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Go in peace to serve our God.